I think one of the shifts we're seeing is that, that leadership no longer is positional. Leadership is not um, created by the division of labor and the hierarchy in a company. Um, the best companies are going to be companies who see and claim and invite and resource everybody to see themselves as a leader. Mm. Because when we are when we see ourselves just as employees who are kind of on the on the sidelines or in the background, um, we we begin to believe that story and we opt out of opportunities and situations where we could create better influence and bigger impact. Today on the podcast, we have Greg Much and Abby Johnston, and they are co-owners of AG Collaborative here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, so it was a fun to have them in the studio um, and to hear the different perspectives that they both had um, on how they're helping organizations overcome some of these growing pains that they see. So let's jump right into the interview with Greg and Abby. Thanks for being here on the show. Um, tell me a little bit about you know what you guys do, how you guys got into this. Yeah, well, a little bit of the backstory. Um, Abby and I met through, so we both live in West Michigan, and we had enough mutual friends that kept saying, you guys haven't met each other, you don't know each other, you're both kind of... <laughs> You know, doing similar things, and um, and so we we met um, over a drink, um, probably just about four years ago. It was in November. We met about four years ago. Um, four blissful years ago. Four blissful yeah. years ago, and it was a it was a, a very um, mediocre meeting. <laughs> um, <laughs> we both had a nice time. Um, uh, there wasn't a, a ton of chemistry at that first meeting, but yeah. we both really enjoyed one another and. Um, I think what we both took away from that meeting was that we both had a kind of a heart and a passion for a, a type of leadership development that seemed a little bit unique. Yeah. Um, and we just felt really aligned around that. Yeah. Um, and then a couple months later, Abby called and said, hey, I'm in the middle of this project. Do you want to come in and participate and be part of it for a while? And yeah. We'll kind of see how that goes. Yeah. So we talk about how we just started work dating. So yeah. I like brought him in on some projects yeah. and then he brought me in on some yeah. projects. And then eventually we were just designing everything together, yeah. but still had our own yeah. consulting entities. And so there just came a point where we were like, I think that it's about time that we just name and claimed this yeah. as, a, as a joint company. And so then we established AG Collaborative, Okay. Um, A for Abby, G for Greg. Yeah. We're, we're geniuses in the market, <laughs> yeah, <that's> clearly. Right. <laughs> um, and that was about two years ago that okay. we established that. So we've been working together for longer than the existence of AG Collaborative. Um, AG Collaborative came after we had been working a lot together and decided yeah. we needed some sort of yeah. formal way, mainly for back-end stuff. So we didn't have to do the, are you invoicing? Am I invoicing? Yeah. How are we? <laughs> so we've got all set up. And it's been awesome. Like, we've really... Uh, we've been growing significantly. We've got some great members on the team. And that chemistry that was uh, not necessarily there at the beginning <laughs> has since grown significantly. Greg and I yeah. really work well together. We're very different, and we also pair really well together. Yeah. And we do most of our facilitating work as a pair, as a duo. Yeah. Because we believe in that model. Yeah. I think that uh, our clients of value from two eyes, two ears, and two people really committed to the experience. Yeah. So it's part of how we do our work. So tell me about that work. Tell me about companies bringing you guys in. What, what problems do you solve? Uh, what pains do you help go away? Tell me about that. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few of those pain points yeah. or a few kind of uh, challenges we help organizations address. Um, you know, I'm thinking about just sort of thinking about some clients right now that we have. And, and one of those clients, um, they have a group of, it's a software company, they have a group of people managers, team leaders, mm-hmm. um, that each have people reporting up to them. Uh, but they've become managers, um, not because they, they sought out to be managers or were ever trained as managers, but largely because they were really good at one thing <laughs> Um, and they've just sort of grown in their responsibilities. Um, yeah. And so we are custom designing a program uh, for this company to help these um, experts in a, in a certain uh, level of expertise grow in their ability to, to lead people mm-hmm. um, and uh, to pick up these um, uh, skill sets of what it means to be a leader um, and not just managing resources, but managing people um, and to how to how to coach and develop along the way the people that are working for them, yeah. um, and so we'll spend six months with this organization at least, um, day long trainings, one on one coaching, uh, giving them uh, tools, giving them self awareness, um, and then helping them lean into uh, leading in a more powerful way. Yeah, what do you find are the symptoms that occur before they they call you, or is it the founder CEO being proactive that's saying? hey, I recognize I have all these new leaders, or is it they're seeing like pain symptoms like high turnover or you know maybe some culture that's kind of gotten some you know maybe toxicity into it? Yeah. Just tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, yes to all that you said. I think there's part of the work that we do that's executive leadership craving more. Like we know that we've got more to offer. We know that we've got more possible. How do we get there? How do we unlock that? How do we actually work with our individuals to pull that out? Um, so it's not necessarily coming from a, wow, we are really in a bad spot, but like we recognize that we haven't been intentional. If we want to grow, we have to be intentional about that growth. And so that's one thing. And I would say that some of the pain points, um, I think there's the disengagement. There's people feeling like they aren't being seen or listened to. There, um, maybe the the um, of the managers, the people underneath them that are then going above the manager to say, "Hey, this person isn't mm. supporting me, or I'm confused on this project, or right." So you see the go around. Um, those are some of the some of the things, and then people's you know work and effectiveness slipping. Yeah. So those are some of the key things. What would you? I'm add thinking too, to like that? like. You know, back channeling, which is sort of this 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 thing where it's sort of the meeting after the meeting, mm. right? So we come out of a meeting and we've agreed on something, you know, kind of socially or publicly in this in this small group, and then we leave and then we have a separate meeting that says, you know, that's never going to work. I'm not going to do that. This person's a fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's. Did you the, see how he did that? Did you see what they said? Yeah. Did so I, we're we're, sort of... we're we're not talking to people. We're talking about people, or yeah. we're not talking about tough issues we're talking about tough issues but more in, a, in sort of a gossip style rather than a um, you know here in west michigan we call it west michigan nice like yeah. it's just it's just easier and more comfortable to have sort of a, a niceness to the to, to the kind of engagements we're having um but when we're more committed to comfort and niceness we lose out on collaboration we lose out on innovation we lose out on uh, engaged feedback that really grows us as as people and as leaders yeah um, and so we see a lot of that yeah. yeah. I was going to say the other thing that I think is a real big part of that is sort of the us and them mentality. Yeah. Like there's leadership and then there's all of us. Yeah. 
um, which is not collaboration and which really sort of puts people in a defensive mode, not a, hey, we're in this together, we're working towards a solution together, we feel valued, we feel supported. It's very much like, I need to prove my worth, I need to stake my claim in my territory. Um, and that's a big part of energy suck and effectiveness drain in an organization. That's an, another one of those things. But yeah. I don't think there's a client that we work with that doesn't have some level of like, yeah, we struggle with communication. And often, 99% of the time, it's connected with what Greg was saying, which is we just don't know how to have tough conversations. Yeah. And what is that because I assume it's there's some trust level issues. Mm -hmm. I would make the assumption that it's companies as they grow, decisions were made a certain way with like a founding team or just a couple people and then there there's like okay I trust these three people so that's the meeting after the meeting right yeah. you know and then when you start to have to have like five more people that are managers that have to be responsible for those things like no you have to change how you behave I would assume um, so could you could you speak to that a little bit because I'm thinking of someone that the reason I want to hear the pains of the symptoms is because if someone's listening to this they're like yeah, that's us, you know. Yeah. Not, not too much about the solution, but they first got to start this problem. It's like, oh yeah, yeah that's I recognize that symptom. Mm -hmm. That we're always having meetings after the meetings, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so is it a is it a trust thing? Is it a habits thing? Like what are the West Michigan nice, you know, what why is there a uh, predisposition to go to that and I mean, I'm sure it's really complex. That's why that's why you guys work with organizations. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking right? about the four or five different ways we could answer that. Yeah. yeah, and I think, I mean, you're right. There are a variety of different elements that play into that one particular thing. I think you, you can't talk about this topic without trust being a piece of that, mm -hmm. right? That That's absolutely a part of the... Um, the, the puzzle there and that's one of the huge things we work with leadership and teams on because trust is this huge word but we don't really know like what is it how do we build it how do we break it what's like what really is in that and then as leadership how do we actually create it amongst the leadership team and amongst uh, the team as a whole yeah so that's absolutely part of it we're not going to be candid with each other when we don't trust that the other person has our best interest at heart yeah. Like that's that's a huge part. Trust is yeah. a huge part. I think the other piece is like having quite frankly, having difficult conversations is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like we as human beings are like moths to flames when it comes to comfort. Like just I don't yeah. wanna just, it's gonna be an awkward conversation. Yeah. It's gonna be tough, or they're not gonna like that, or this is right, and we and we disguise it as like I really don't wanna hurt their feelings or but it's really like we just don't want to be in that seat of uncomfortability because yeah. they are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but these moments of being willing to step into the uncomfortability to have the meaningful conversations, one, it builds trust because yeah. we're willing to do that. Um, and two, it's often not as bad as we think it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, and it's a lot shorter than we think it's going to be as far as the actual discomfort. But I think that those, I mean, those are just some things yeah. that I would point out. I don't well, then we trade that we trade that discomfort for, or we hold on to the discomfort. Um, instead of stepping into the discomfort, we end up with, you know, slow processes, you know, ineffective communication, problems aren't really getting solved. Um, people aren't aware of bits of feedback that they that really could help them be more successful. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's both, both you can create a toxic environment, but also an unproductive environment. And one of the things we know about employees is one of the things that makes them feel the happiest is the ability to feel productive, mm -hmm. the ability to, to accomplish stuff um, and to receive feedback on that. 
um, and to make meaningful progress on their projects. Yeah. Um, and if people aren't getting that, then it, it really can become a negative feedback loop where it's like, I don't feel very productive. Um, and now I feel like I've got to kind of self-protect and armor up uh, and make sure that I can keep my job or that people don't know that I'm not being effective. And so it can, it can be a real kind of a real mess. Yeah, there's lots of carnage that gets created in that whole cycle there. Mm-hmm. Um, resentment is so present in our organizations. We don't usually use that word, but yeah. it's so present in our organizations, and it creates a serious lag and drag on our ability to make meaningful work and produce meaningful results. Um, I think the other thing that strikes me in this conversation that's rampant in this discussion is just the assumptions that we make that has significant impact on our the way that we communicate. So we assume we understand why someone is doing the thing that they're doing or what they're thinking about us, or we assume they know what we think, they assume that we assume they know our intention. That, And quite frankly, in the absence of communication, we make up stories. And we're really good at making up stories. And we're really good at making negative ones. And so- We specialize in the negative stories. We specialize in the negative ones. As humans, like the human brain, this is just what we know. We yeah. love to make negative stories. And so what's happening is we're living our work lives based on these like false realities, but feel very real to us, yeah. feel very real to us. Um, and then we behave according to those assumptions, not according to what's really happening. And that also creates problems within our organizations. Yeah. Um, and really impacts those difficult conversations because we assume we know how it's going to go or what this person's going to say or what the result's going to be or what they really think about us or and so we make all these assumptions that again build up walls for us really leaning into having that difficult conversation yeah Mm -hmm. so what are some tactics then to for someone that's like listening to this and they're nodding their head right of all the things you're saying yeah that's us yeah i see ourselves in that organization Maybe it's a leader that's saying, hey, I want to I want to overcome this. Um, what are some things like baby steps, so to speak, that they can they can take? Because I understand the complexity and it's just like a bowl of noodles, right? Everything is like intertwined, mm-hmm. wh- whether it's personalities, legacy, you know, all of that. Um, but if someone's leading a team inside of an organization like this, what are some baby steps that you would recommend um, to them if they see some of these symptoms, some of these toxic things that are happening? What can they start to do? What you know? How can they kind of help help be the change of the organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, it always starts with uh, leading ourselves, um, and so I think beginning to and one of the things we talk about quite often is like we can't grow what we don't see, mm. um, and so beginning to pay attention and track like what are the real pain points? What are the, the challenges we're facing? What are the, the patterns and themes maybe across an organization or a team that we're having? Um, because when you can identify it and name it, um, you can already start to disempower it a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and then begin and then begin you know feeding it with the healthy stuff that you want to change. I mean, one of the things we know about habit change is uh, you can't really undo something that you're doing a lot of. You really can only create new habits and new patterns. Um, and so, what are the new behaviors, new commitments? Um, that we want to begin implementing as an individual or as a team in order to do that. So, so first is always just like, what can we notice? Yeah. What can we pay attention to? What can we see um, is really here? Um, and instead of being af- afraid of it, just just tracking it and noticing and, and, and being curious about the patterns. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I, I, a hundred percent. We, I like you said, Greg. We can't change what we don't see. Um, the, um, with that, also asking a question like, is this fact, <laughs> or am I making this up? Right, and just noticing that. Um, I would say the other, the other piece that I would put out there is, and this is really sort of embedded in what Greg was saying, but this idea of being curious. So replacing our judgment with a sense of curiosity. So I'm going into a meeting and I'm assuming I think what that, I know what that person's gonna say, or I'm engaging in a conversation and they've said something, and I write the rest of like the behind the scenes narrative of what's happening versus this posture of curiosity, which isn't judgment. It's not thinking I know what's happening and judging it as good or bad or right or wrong. But it's being able to say, tell me more. I actually don't know everything. Tell mm -hmm. me more. What's, like, what's behind that question? What's behind the situation? I, I need to know because I don't know all of it, right? So simply this posture of like, I don't know it all and I need to know more. So really just replacing, right? We can't, Greg mentioned this, like the whole stop it thing just doesn't work. <laughs> just stop doing just that. Just stop it. Yeah. Just stop it. Let's all agree that we're yeah. going to quit doing that. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> and then after the meetings, okay, we're not really going to do yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but replace it with, okay, so let's get curious. W curious about self. Like, why am I doing this? Why do I keep writing the same story about this person? What more do I need to know that mm -hmm. I don't know? Yeah. Um, what, what is happening here behind the scenes that I, what could be the motive? Why would a person do something? Um, why would a sane person do something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, um, let me get curious about what all is happening here. And so just, just that posture of curiosity, simply asking the question, tell me more, help me understand, and actually listening um, is a powerful tool in this sort of a context. So it sounds like there is an aspect of stop it and that's stop talking, right? It's almost like hold your tongue. It's kind of mm -hmm. what I heard you say. Hold your tongue and then say, I need to put on kind of like my listening cap or listening yeah. ears, you yeah. know, and say, okay, what's going on here? Like what, and asking questions, it sounds like quite, you know, really saying like, okay, like, I think of like in like a sales context, you know, you ask like three whys or you try to get to the bottom of something, right? It's like in the same way, you're, you're kind of digging back of like, okay, let me understand this a little more mm -hmm. and not jump to those conclusions. Yeah, it's sort of like a two-step. Like the first step is like what Greg is saying, right? The, the first step of recognizing like, oh, I'm in a space where I'm, I'm like writing a story here. I'm yeah. making an assumption that I know what all's happening or I know what's going to happen. Um, but I'm, so I'm noticing that and instead of, going down that traditional route of assuming I know, I'm going to instead choose curiosity. So tell me more, help me understand that question that you had or why this isn't making sense or why this deadline was missed. Um, and actually being curious, not faking curiosity. We can see that as, we can see people faking these things a mile away, but actually choosing to believe that you don't know it all and that there's something more that you can gain in that posture of of listening and, and understanding. And yes, that requires that we stop talking and that yeah. we hear what someone else is going to say. Yeah. Yeah, I mean what I hear in that is is I might describe it this way. One of the one of the leadership moves that we talk a lot about, one of the things that begins to really set, you know, a leader apart as somebody who's who's really leading on purpose is this ability to move from um, 
being run by autopilot or being run by our patterns, right? So, so like our, our thoughts and habits run us and how we show up in leadership to being more mindful and being a choice, right? So, so I can notice what's happening in the moment and I can, I can begin to choose rather than be run by my autopilot. Um, and when we're able to do that, we really can clean up a lot of the collateral damage that we unintended, unintentionally create as leaders. Yeah. Do you feel like that um, there's shifts happening like generationally with technology, all these things? If you said, okay, what what you're <clears throat> excuse me, what you're seeing in companies now as opposed to what maybe you saw like five years ago, um, that are contributing to some of these things that you're talking about. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about you know younger generation and managing them, and they want more feedback and mm-hmm. all of this stuff. But you know, sometimes I kind of write that off because it's like seems like that's always the case, right? It's always like the older generation against the younger generation and the, oh, this, yeah. this, they, that, whatever. Um, what are you guys seeing in, in terms of the shifts in the marketplace, whether it's generationally or other things on a more macro level that might contribute to some of the ne- like the issues that you're seeing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always going to be, I think there's always going to be some level of generational friction, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it will look different after each generation or that some of the challenges will look different, but there will always be some friction there. Um, I think one of the things I would name is just the the, um, the pace and the level of fragmented attention that we have mm-hmm. as employees, as workers, as leaders. Um, barring from you know a lot of the research in the mindfulness space and in some work that um, Cal Newport has done uh, on digital minimalism, we live in an attention economy. Um, the big companies don't as much want our money as they want our attention because they can sell our attention mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for, you know, for pennies. Um, <clears throat> and one of the things that, that, that really slows us down in terms of our pro- productivity and engagement is just this, this drag that gets created when we're not really even multitasking. We're just split all over the place. We're running fast um, and our attention is bouncing around all over the place. Um, so that's the thing that has changed, I think, in the last five years. And to Cal Newport's kind of point, his kind of primary thesis is those people who can see that that's happening and create patterns and rhythms and way of being to allow them to do what he calls deep work will set themselves apart in the marketplace because they will be taking their attention back um, and being able to uh, be more purposeful in their work and and eventually more productive in their work as well. Uh, But that's one of the things I see out there is just that that people are just fragmented and, and scattered. Um, Which contributes to the autopilot syndrome, for lack of a better word, where it's like, if, if I am so scattered, I'm going to use as many, as, as few of resources mentally as, as I need yeah. to, and yeah. I'm just going to revert into my behavior that I know. <laughs> you don't, yeah. you don't have the time or energy to Well, it's break. like the setting on Google Maps, right? It's like just the quickest way there. And then sometimes the quickest way there, you end up in parts of the parts of town. You're like, why, why am I on this street right now, right? It's because it's the fastest way. Um, and we sort of live on that setting a lot of time. Like, what's the fastest, quickest way? Um, the problem with that setting on the app is you oftentimes miss some of the beautiful routes you can yeah. take that will be more enjoyable um, and in the end maybe, um, you know, uh, be more effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Fast isn't better and more isn't more. But that um, isn't always more. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of this mentality is we're just so maxed and taxed in all of the areas of our life. It's that cult of busy, right? Like, how you doing all busy, right? Mm-hmm. We just, it's as if we wear it with a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you're saying, we just, 
with our resources being pulled in so many ways, we just don't have what it takes to make different choices. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what's happening when we have to move from that well, um, sort of, I'm thinking like well-worn pathway for us, right? It's sort of like those yeah. baseline behaviors. It's just like, this is comfortable. It might not be even like, we might know it's not the best, but it's just what has worked for us. Um, and so we just slide right back into that. And cause we don't have the energy or the capacity to choose otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a huge thing that's contributing to some of the issues that we're seeing. I think one other thing I would add in is, and this might fall along sort of stereotypical generational lines. It doesn't have to, but I think it often it does. I think one of the shifts we're seeing is that, that leadership no longer is positional. Leadership is not um, created by the division of labor and the hierarchy in a company. Um, the best companies are going to be companies who see and claim and invite and resource everybody to see themselves as a leader. Mm. Because when we are when we see ourselves just as employees who are kind of on the on the sidelines or in the background, mm-hmm. um, we we begin to believe that story and we opt out of opportunities and situations where we could create better influence and bigger impact. Um, and so I think companies that begin to say it, it doesn't work here for only a handful of us to be leaders. Everybody here is a leader, um, and it's, this is a real fun exercise to do. We did this recently for a, a company in town, and we had. Uh, groups of 40 uh, in a session, uh, like a two-hour session, and we did five of those in a day. They rotated through, and every time they came in, we sort of sort of set the stage for the conversation, and we said, we kind of want to get a sense for who's in the room, so could all the leaders in the room stand up? And immediately, you know, 10 people would stand up, and a few people would kind of go up and down and look around, uh, and there was always <laughs> one person saying, everybody should be standing, uh, but there was, there was some clear... Um, uh, sense of uncertainty around well who really is a leader which is the point of our session with them but i think companies are looking for that i think companies that see um everybody has a sense of ownership and responsibility and to be all in to create the culture and the service of the product that we're about um is really critical Mm -hmm. yeah and i think too companies are facing like things are changing quicker than ever right there's this dynamic nature and companies to be on the front line um, have to have everybody show up. And I think a lot of people are coming to work on mute. And what we're passionate about is unmuting all of those individuals. Because the thing that's really going to take an organization to the next level is people coming in fully alive, knowing what they contribute, bringing that contribution, feeling purposeful, engaging in meaningful ways, um, that's what takes companies to that next level. And every company is, is feeling that pinch. Like mm-hmm. in such a diverse marketplace where competition is so intense, we need to figure out a way to differentiate. And one of the ways is how do we turn, make our people come more alive and mm-hmm. make this a meaningful place for people to work. Um, and that's really that everybody's seeing themselves as a leader. Like, who are you? How do you take responsibility for your unique influence? And how do we um, get you to, to start bringing that with you to work every day? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Where do you guys see it going in the next, like, five years? I mean, does this only get worse? I mean, <laughs> tell me what, what you guys see as, you know, on the horizon in terms of, 
you know, I assume it's it's only going to accelerate, and that's only these deep work skills, these communication skills are only going to be more valuable. Um, just tell me about what you guys see in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if right now it. I mean, I don't know if it feels so dire right now. I mean, every you know, like the generational thing. At, at any time, there's always like the the special set of challenges that we face. I think the thing that I really appreciate in this time is that um, while there's this negative onslaught of so much, right, competing for our attention, there's also the accessibility of information and knowledge around leadership and approaches to work and things like that that have never really been accessible to just um, sort of the your average person who's not going to college to study this. or And now we have accessibility to all of new lines of thinking and great podcasts and authors. And so now more than ever, I feel like there's also a chance for people to be learning and growing um, even just on their own in this space. So I think that's a positive thing. And just before we feel like the world is, you know, going to hell in a handbag, <laughs> I did want to say, like, I do think there's something about, like, the, the accessibility of thought and knowledge <clears throat> and therefore what could potentially change our behaviors and our organizations in new ways. Yeah. Um, as far as what's happening in the future, do you have a thought on... Well, I'm just going to... I mean, I would just borrow from Brene Brown here. We do quite a bit of work with her Dare to Lead program and follow her research. And in that program, one of the things that she says is that, you know, five years from now, the number of, of, of leaders who will still be implementing a, a power over um, command and control, uh, micromanaging, controlling style of leadership... Is it's going away. It's mm-hmm. going away fast, especially on the coasts and especially where there's a real strong war on talent. Um, it, it's not going to work. Um, and that's the thing that's beginning to go away. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that existing leaders who fall back on that need to reinvent themselves and they need to find a new way to lead. Um, and this program begins the process of helping people see that and change that. Um, you know, her research. Um, what came back clear as a bell through all the layers of research was we need braver leaders and more courageous cultures. Um, that's what leadership five years from now is going to require, and that's what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that as that sort of like, oh, wait a minute, this isn't working, which is already really happening within organizations, this like, you just do what I say because I say it because I have this position of authority. Um, that as that goes away, I think that there is going to be this opportunity for the mm-hmm. work that we do, right? Because it's like, well, if this doesn't work, what does? Yeah. And sort of this vacuum of what else, like what are the other ways, what are the other ways of approaching leadership and working with people because of this is what I thought it was. Because very historically, leadership has been seen as that, right? Yeah. Like it's positional, it's about power, it's about do as I say. Um, yeah. And this is really going to be a space, I think, in the next five years where we're going to see an opportunity for new ways of leading and also maybe people that feel pretty lost because their old ways of leading aren't working. So it's, I think, going to be a scary time and also a rich time of opportunity for shifting the game of what it looks like to show up and be Mm -hmm. a leader in organizations. Yeah, because the opportunity is for an organization to either double down on what they've been doing. Yeah. um, but if they pay attention to the research and the trends, they'll learn that people don't quit their jobs because of the work they're required to do. They quit their jobs because of their managers or leaders in their midst. 
Um, and if they double down on this old style of leadership <clears throat> and managing, they're going to start losing their best people, and mm-hmm. it's going to be really difficult to stay competitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell me about um, maybe a story or, like, what if someone tries this and it fails? Like, so my mind is going to a lot of talk around abandoning, like, an annual performance review and some of these processes, which the reason I bring that up is because that that's more of a practice around this like command and control you know very Mm -hmm. much like structured and very hierarchical which that exists for a reason or maybe existed for a reason and then people that are just kind of like you said there's a vacuum earlier you said there's a vacuum you know like what to what style to adopt and all this like have you seen it where companies have tried to just get rid of these old practices and then have failed in the in the vacuum because they didn't have anything to to kind of fill it with? I mean, is that, mm-hmm. do you see that? Maybe not companies you work with or no. companies that have called you in and said, hey, look, we tried this, like, it's not working, you know, and you're kind of having to, having to rescue the situation, so to speak. Because um, I, I, the reason I asked to preface it some more is that I think that is that is a problem, especially with companies as they're growing, maybe their ex- only experience was with that old style and they're saying, listen, we recognize we have to change because we're not getting the talent we need. We're losing people. I feel like we could be doing better. You know, it's like, it's kind of this like unknown, like latent potential, like mm-hmm. keeps you up at night type thing, but you don't know how to quantify it, you know? Um, so if they're trying all these different things and failing, like kind of tell me some stories about that maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think that's a, I think that's a great question. I think part of the, part of that tension that you're naming is well, we're going to stop doing this, but we're not sure what to start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is there is a void of, like, what does it look like to lead, right? So it's so if leadership historically was, like, that I stand up and command and people fall in line and I'm the most outspoken person in the room or what whatever that was, that stereotype around that, and now I'm just going to stop doing that, that doesn't, like, we, we create a system that expects us to show up the way that we are. So we talk about how we train people to be with us. Mm-hmm. Right, so, so there's an, a sort of an unlearning that happens, right? So we've established this system that works, doesn't work as good as it could, but it works around this old way. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's an unlearning around that and a reshifting yeah. that needs to happen because while it wasn't the most effective way, it was also serving some purposes. Yeah. And so it's sort of how do we shift, and not just stop it all, but how do we start to to unlearn? And quite frankly, I think the one of the things that we see a lot is executive leadership being like, I don't like these trends I see in our culture. Let's change all that. <laughs> like, let's change all the people in the company. Get your magic um, wand out. Yeah, let's, let's change just, that. Just I just want to write that. a check and yeah. just call it good. Right? But don't right. wave it at me. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I think the, the piece that I think is a really important piece is if we're going to shift our organizations, shifting sort of the leadership being able to say, like, this begins with me. Yeah. Like, this begins with my patterns. This begins with how I've been leading. I need to look at this, and I need to start shifting my patterns. Before I just start to go and look at all the systems that we've created and all the way, like, I need to stop and look at what's happening here. Um, and those things will come, and those things will quickly come as you start to do this work. But the executive leadership, it really sets the tone, right? So often the culture is just mimicking what's already happening within the top leadership yeah. mm-hmm. within the organization. Yeah, yeah. 
I think too, like for companies to embrace a little bit of a learning mindset, like, okay, we know that what we have isn't working. Let's get curious about what we what we really wanted to do, mm-hmm. and then start, and then start uh, taking some risks with trying that. But realizing this might be a three year journey before we really end up with kind of the process and the system that's going to be yeah. um, both informed by the research and by our practice, because um, there's not going to be a, a one size fits all. Uh, as it relates to kind of performance reviews and stuff like that. But I think if you follow the research, the research will say annual performance reviews don't accomplish very much. Mm-hmm. And they're, they take a lot of time and, and they're pretty expensive. But it doesn't mean we like giving people feedback isn't helpful. So what's the process that allows that to happen? And I think oftentimes there's a, a resistance to the, the, what it's going to cost in terms of money, dollars and time in order to do that. But if you if you really run the numbers, it's expensive to replace an employee. Yeah. It, I mean, a lot of the stats out there in the research will say, you know, it's, it's one to two times that person's salary to replace them. And that doesn't count lost time for when that person's not there doing the job. Yeah. And uh, if they're a really influential person, who, who leaves because they left? Like there's a lot of other effects with that. Um, you know, so if you're replacing somebody who's, you know, $75,000 a year and you've got to spend $75,000 a year to go find that person, you'd be better off uh, creating some processes and symptoms and cultural work to keep those people there yeah. to reduce your turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think we, we, we just get lost on, well, that system is going to be expensive, but without comparing it to the co- what's, what it's costing us already to not have a good yeah. system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, turnover is one of the massive. We hear that a lot. Yeah, all in organizations. For example, we've got a um, not for example related to turnover, but for example related to you know we've got we realize that what we've been doing isn't working. Mm-hmm. But what do we do? And so we've got a client right now that uh, for them they're like, okay, we realize what hasn't been working. What we want to do though is we want we really believe in a coaching culture. Mm-hmm. And so we really believe that when it comes to who we are as leaders within our organization, we want our leadership to take this posture. Yeah. And so how do we become skilled at not trained coaches, but how do we think about how we approach the culture? and the people that we work with every day from this more of this coaching mindset. And so yeah. let's put our training and energy into that. And so there's this, okay, so we're not that, but what is it that we do really want, right? So there's that differentiation and sort of really discerning what that looks like. Yeah. And then from there, okay, let's, let, what is it, what's that going to require? Um, and so part of that is a, is a discernment process and part of it is working with organizations to do that discerning, right? Because they aren't sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and others do know, like the client that I was talking about, right? They knew, okay, well, this hasn't been working, but this is what we really believe in. This is really what we want. Um, and so helping discern what, how do we, what do we really want to be when it comes to not just our leadership, but our culture, because those two things are inextricably linked. And how do you help leaders navigate um, maybe a vision for their culture that's too aspirational and not realistic for either who they are or what they actually want, right? They're like, yeah, I want to have, you know, maybe they've had a lackadaisical, highly political culture in the past, and they're like, no, we want to have all these, you know, just everyone be a leader, but we want to be like a startup, and we want to have everyone have fresh ideas, like, mm-hmm. it, but yet you're like, whoa, you know, that's that's not really possible, but, may, you, know, you know, how do you kind of temper that, but then yeah. 
get them to a realistic state because I would imagine that's just doomed to fail, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it is tempering it. Part of it is saying, um, hey, let's look at this. Let's look at this in phases over time. And so, what feels most important first? Mm-hmm. What feels reachable? Um, and really helping organizations operationalize their vision, right? So if they've got if they've got strategies or um, uh, uh, values or a way they want the culture to be. You have to operate like you have to like get that granular. What are the behaviors that 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 come out of integrity? As if this is going to be one of your values, what does that what does that mean for the company? What are the actual behaviors we'll see on the team? Because if I if I define integrity one way and Abby defines it another way, and then we're we have that mindset that we're living into, our behaviors might look really differently, and they might actually be creating friction and be misaligned. Um, so one of the ways to slow an organization down is really have them get more concrete and granular around what do the behaviors really look like that we're committing to uh, in order for the culture to feel or look that way. Yeah. Right. Like if this is the if this is the aspiration, what does it look like with skin on? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. If we say we're a culture of innovation, what does that look like? Like physically look like? How do we see people living into that? Um, and as leaders, what does that require of us? Um, and that's a, I think that's a huge thing. I think the other thing, and Greg actually says this a lot, but um, we live with this idea that big change requires big change, but it's really that big change happens in a lot of small changes. And so for organizations that want big change, yes, we want big change too, but what are all the small changes that eventually lead to the big change? The, the small change is the big change. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about like, if there was one thing that we could do differently and really do this one thing differently, this one thing, how would that shift our organization and can we commit to this one thing? Um, and really being able to take it in sort of bite-sized chunks, yeah. recognizing that the, the small change is the big change. Yeah. So who do you guys, I mean, to kind of close up a little bit, yeah. like, tell me about some of the best, like a, what's, a, what's a perfect company for, for you if someone's listening to this and they say, yeah, I'm struggling with all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, is, do you guys have an ideal client either in size, you know, industry? We should because people keep telling us you should have an ideal client. Yeah. <laughs> um, you should have a niche. You should have a spot in the market that you're going after. Um, the truth of it is we... I think what's most important to us about a company is that the, that it feels like a strong partnership. The relationship needs mm-hmm. to be really strong. Um, they align with our philosophy. Yeah, that 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 we're creating leaders. We see everybody as a leader, building their potential to do that. Um, that has worked for us really well in in, in big companies, um, big complex companies that have their own uh, HR and learning and development spaces, and we we come in as a puzzle piece that they don't have and design mm-hmm. a program and. And run programs that 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 boost what they're already trying to offer, um, and then we're a great partner for a company of, you know, a, a small employee set, twenty five, fifty to hundred, up to a few hundred people that don't have a strong um, learning and development kind of team. They have the belief in that. I think that's the alignment part. Like they believe in their people, and they know that the the service they provide, the product they provide, is secondary to. The importance of developing their people and creating a strong kind of culture amongst their people. Um, that's a great partnership for us because we can we can just uh, uh, come alongside, partner, 
um, offer expertise, offer direction, offer strategy, deliver on those things, um, and then evolve and change over time together as we implement that. Yeah, our ideal work is that we like that we become partners with an organization. So we do a lot of design work, designing programs and facilitating that work. Um, but we want the programs we design are the programs for our clients. So it feels like their program, um, and that's really important to us. But uh, to go back to the change piece, we are not your short-term band-aids. Like we really believe that time, like the change takes time. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of our work is over the extended period of time. So we, you know, we can go and we do workshops and those sorts of things, but the real change and the real meaningful work, um, and the majority of our work is six months to a couple of years where we're engaged with a, a company. The other differentiator that I would say when it comes to the clients that we work with is these clients that are in a significant growth mode um, and have moved from like, oh my word, we used to be able to just operate very organically because we were this small, mm. high, like getting a lot done, high functioning, but we were small and now we're big. And we still want all those characteristics that we had when we were just this small sort of bootstrapping team, but we're big. And we don't know actually how to do that because we know that now what was organic actually takes intention. Yeah. And so we come in oftentimes and help that leadership team really set that intention, grow and develop as a leadership team. Because often those organizations, they have their leadership teams, but they've never done leadership development work. Yeah. Or leaders like to really think about not just their individual effectiveness as leaders, but like as a collective unit. We've got what, eight people on our leadership team? How do we really show up and maximize the fact that, that eight of us together, not just in, as individuals, but as a collective, could do some serious work in yeah. this organization? Um, so how do we really get intentional about that? So often companies that are sort of in high growth mode that really recognize the need to start to do something intentional where there's always just sort of been like, it's just been happening kind of space. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a place that we found ourselves a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. I appreciate it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think we've right. covered a lot of high value stuff. So thank you for that. Yeah. Covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Appreciate it. Cool. This podcast is proudly produced by Waypoint. What is Waypoint? Well, if you want to coach your team and not manage them, then Waypoint is worth checking out. Head over to waypointhq.com to learn more or email me directly, mike at waypointhq.com, and I'll demo it for you myself. Thanks for listening.